Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Yes, the Philadelphia Eagles are headed back to the Super Bowl, but they didn't get there with the script everyone was writing for them back in November. The Super Bowl wasn't just for the Lombardi Trophy, it was supposed to be the coronation of the savior of brotherly love, Carson Wentz, the 2017 MVP. But one textbook Wentz drive into the end zone against the Rams in December changed all that. Everyone hoped for the best, but they knew it was for the worst. Torn ACL, season over. Just another chapter in the endless book of Philly disappointments. The thing is, no one told that to Philadelphia's back-breaking defense, and more importantly, no one told that to former Eagle starter Nick Foles. Now, after dethroning the defending conference champions and lighting up the favored Vikings, the Eagles are right where everyone thought they would be, one one away from shaking off decades of disappointment. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now we present an excerpt from Carson Wentz Takes Flight by Hallie Grossman. On a Tuesday morning in early November, three men, one in his 20s, another in his 30s, and the third balding and middle-aged, wait their turn at the Wawa on Ridge Avenue in Roxborough, a small slice of northwest Philadelphia. Like a lot of locals, they've come to get their day started at this eastern Pennsylvania institution, loading up on coffee and donuts and perhaps a breakfast sizzle or two. As they inch their way forward to pay for their goods, they make small talk, growing animated, a little breathless. These men, who didn't arrive together, don't work together, or know one another at all, are downright giddy. All three are wearing number 11 jerseys. The Eagles, fresh off a 51-23 mauling of the Broncos, are on a bye this week. There's no game day on the horizon. And Carson Wentz, the quarterback whom the trio has chosen to pay tribute to on this otherwise unremarkable fall Tuesday, is hundreds of miles away, off hunting in the country, taking a breather from his team's intoxicating, unanticipated 8-1 start. Behind them in line, a 71-year-old man in a blue button-down and blazer looks on in bemusement. I feel underdressed, he jokes half-heartedly to himself. He keeps a close watch on the Eagles, too. Has since Sonny Jurgensen's rookie year in 1957, but does so now as the team's unofficial historian. Ray Dittinger was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame back in 1995 for his years spent covering the NFL as a reporter for the old Philadelphia Bulletin and Daily News. Now he co-hosts a show on the local sports radio station and rehashes Eagles' wins and losses on TV. The Wawa cashier, Marilyn, knows Dinger and what he does for a living. So after the three Wences pay and take off, she rings up Dinger's 32-ounce Diet Coke and newspapers and looks up. They're going to break our hearts again this year, aren't they? Joining me now is ESPN staff writer Hallie Grossman, who has chronicled this roller coaster season for the Eagles better than anyone. Welcome, Hallie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming all the way two buildings away. <laughs> so... When you see these, the way everything has gone this season, not necessarily this, the whole season, yes, but more how everything with the Philadelphia Eagles seemed to pick up steam after Carson Wentz got hurt. Uh, the Eagles seem to slip below the radar. Like you mentioned in one of your pieces, how, you know, what sort of goes on, how everyone, like the, the world is over. This happened. And is that something that you feel that maybe the Eagles in all your, speaking with them that they almost want? Because it seemed in the playoffs, the Jaguars, for example, were clamoring for credit and wanted to be taken more seriously, while the Eagles and the, their brand of football were one where they were more than happy for you to look past them. Yeah, I don't think, I wouldn't say that they live and die off of that sort of underdog narrative. Um, you know, before the Falcons game, Chris Long was asked about how that sort of 
that storyline, the Eagles being undermanned, sort of undervalued, impacted the locker room. And he said something pretty candid, which was, you know, what would it sound like if I stood here and told you guys, wasn't that excited about the playoff game, but I just heard that we're underdogs. I just heard that no one on ESPN is picking us. And so now, man, now I'm ready. Now I'm motivated to go. Um, and, you know, I thought that was a pretty telling answer. But by the same token, um, you know, I will say that it's definitely a part of their identity now, right? So I, I had the chance to talk to Brandon Graham just a couple days after Carson Wentz tore his ACL. So the team had just announced that Carson Wentz was done for the season. And when I spoke to Brandon, what he said was, you know, as, as sad as he was for Carson as a teammate, um, as sad as he was, you know, because of what Carson brings to the table, because that's not just a tough break. That's sort of the toughest break that team could, you know, withstand. Um, but he said by that same token, it's almost freeing, right? Because everyone, at least on the outside, then sort of recalibrates their expectations, recalibrates what the ceiling is for that team. Um, so the pressure's off. Um, so it's definitely been a part of their mentality for a little while now. And I would especially say in the aftermath and even just before the Falcons game, um, they've really sort of taken that idea and run with it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have... After the Eagles beat the Falcons, you have Chris Long and you have right tackle Lane Johnson going out into the media scrum and answering their questions in German Shepherd masks because, <laughs> you know, German Shepherds are underdogs, apparently. Um, and then those masks sell out on Amazon. And then Lane Johnson creates a T-shirt with that with the likeness of those masks. And so it's certainly been something that they've run with. Um, and I think the most telling way that you know that if that perception of underdog hasn't seeped into the locker room, but is at least acknowledged in the locker room is sort of the mantra that they've rallied around in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, before the Minnesota game, Malcolm Jenkins, safety Malcolm Jenkins, uh, broke the pregame huddle and he said, we're all we got, we're all we need. And that's something they've repeated, which is a pretty explicit nod to the fact that like, yeah, we know Carson Wentz is gone. We know starting linebacker Jordan Hicks is gone and running back Darren Sproles and all of these guys, but we have who we have and, that will be enough for us no matter what anybody says or thinks. Now, as far as Wentz, when he does return, like how long of a leash to go with the dog theme, I guess, mm. do you think Philly fans give this person that they, you are, you know, you in your, the full version of your piece where one kid screams, you are our savior. Yeah. Like how impatient are Philly fans? Like, is like is this the path for Iverson, Lindros, and McNabb? Is it different, you think, for for Wentz if the Eagles don't win it all under his watch, so to speak? So you know, it's funny. I talked to um, a sports, a longtime sports radio host named Glenn Mack now before Carson was injured. So this is before even sort of the twists and turns that the season eventually took. Um, and I asked him in the midst of this eight and one, nine and one, ten and one start. Is Carson Wentz already above the booze in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. right? Because it's Philly, and booing in that city is sort of I don't know. It's baked into the DNA as roast pork and cheesesteaks and all of that. Good By stuff, the way, right? for the record, so is booze. Is B O O Z. Got it. Yes, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, see what we did there. Um, but well, yeah, I and did. so and he didn't know. He didn't know the answer to that. And I think it was for a couple reasons. One. There have been so few guys that, that have come through that city that have sort of risen to that level. So you're mm-hmm. talking about like maybe a Brian Dawkins who spent, you know, his career when the Eagles were making championship games every season and Chase Utley who won a World Series there. And I don't know, 
Bernie Perrant back in the 1970s flyers, if you really <laughs> want to go into the archives, right? Yep. Um, and the second reason is that it's just there's probably no harder position to be in in Philadelphia than the starting quarterback for the Eagles. Um, so that position just might inherently always invite booze. Um, B-O-O-S. Um, <laughs> but by the same token, like Carson has just won the city over. I Before a regular season game in November when Carson was still playing, um, I had the chance to go to a tailgate with these just diehard super fans. Mm-hmm. And they said unequivocally that they can't remember an athlete who has won the city over as quickly and really as forcefully as Carson has. So if you walk around the stadium, the Lincoln Financial Field before games, like there's, you know, Welcome to Pennsylvania shirts and Ginger uh-huh. Jesus shirts. And there's just they've they love him. Do you, um, so. do you think that's because his his roots and how he sort of, you know, almost the way he got hurt was the way that. If he was going to get hurt, it was almost the way that Philadelphia would want him to get hurt. Yeah. So he got hurt running into the end zone on a play that was ultimately nullified. And then he got up and the the play, the drive was extended and then he finished the drive. So he had already torn his ACL. Right. Um, and then he finishes the drive on this play to, I believe, Alshon Jeffrey. And yeah. And so you can't script it. Like, not that you want Carson Wentz to ever get hurt, but you sort of can't imagine a more um, Philly like. Sort of right. So yeah, right? exactly. So he's half Rocky <laughs> running up the steps, yeah, yeah. and the other half Mark Wahlberg and Invincible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, you know, I guess let's reconvene in five years. Like if if in that time he comes back and he leads the Eagles to three straight championship games and loses those games, like Donovan McNabb, like sure, maybe the leash is shorter. But mm-hmm. I can't. I honestly can't think of a player who has engendered as much goodwill and bought himself. Um, as much of a grace period as Carson probably has at this point. Now, as far as looking forward, um, as well as his backup is done, I mean, this is clearly his job when he gets back. Mm-hmm. Now, in this t- world of hot takes and mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that, someone's going to disagree with that, I'm sure, at some point. So would you almost could you almost argue to some extent that any controversy regarding who plays quarterback for the Eagles, it would be easier if they lost. <laughs> so I would say if the Eagles do win the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, if Nick Foles is the first quarterback to bring the Lombardi Trophy to Philadelphia, uh, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that like, he will never have to buy another meal in, in the city, right? Like he But might... he will also have to visit the city because he needs to leave because it's Carson Wentz. There you job. go. Uh, <laughs> he needs to leave. Um, but, you know, like he might get a statue at the at the foot of the art museum steps. But, um, yeah, I just like I just don't think that there's any question as to who the future quarterback in Philadelphia is. Like Carson Wentz in his second year with the Eagles broke the franchise record for touchdown passes in a single season, right? And so he threw mm-hmm. 33 touchdown passes and then missed the final three games of the year. Like I mentioned earlier, take a walk around Lincoln Financial Field. Like there are, you'll see 10, 15, 20 North Dakota fans who mm-hmm. come in literally from North Dakota um, and they're decked out in their North Dakota State Bison gear. It's green and gold and they are just royalty in Philadelphia. By association. Be, literally by association, just by virtue of the fact that they are from the and same state as Carson Wentz. And it's all ages. It's like oh, yeah. it's like the 76-year-old grandma yeah. has a Carson Wentz jersey, as does her like grandson. Yeah, absolutely. Like, okay. I met a former Bison player who was, you know, a little bit older than Carson. I met grandparents. They they, they come out in full force. And seriously, they're treated like royalty. They get free drinks, free food because 
they do nothing but share a state, a hometown state with Carson. Well, just like you said, Allie, we'll have to revisit in five years. Yeah. We know how quickly things can change for the good. Sure. And the bad. Now we present an excerpt from Hallie Grossman's follow-up on a post-Wentz injury Philadelphia. On a slice of East Sider Avenue, a lunchtime crowd snakes through a stucco shack and sandwiched between railroad tracks and a low store, just close enough to the Delaware River to catch an icy December breeze off the water. John's Roast Pork has been a South Philadelphia institution since 1930, the kind of roast pork and cheesesteak joint where business suits intermingle with neon construction vests. On this Tuesday, a daily news rack in the corner trumpets the headline, Done. For now. I called this, John Bucci, the shop's third-generation owner, shouts over his shoulder while manning the steaming grill. I knew this was going to happen. We told him, shut up, shut up, interjects Lenny Tenuto, who's taking a break from fielding lunch orders behind the counter. I said, listen, he's going to get hurt, Bucci goes on, his pork-stained hands resuming the work of chopping steaks. Just one day earlier, Bucci had been proved prophetic. At noon that Monday, those business suits and neon-vested construction workers, even some of the men behind the grill, streamed outside the shack, heading to their cars to brace themselves. They wanted to be someplace quiet to hear Eagles coach Doug Peterson deliver the verdict. Doug, do you have any news on Carson Wentz's knee, one reporter asked. Peterson nodded. I do. Torn ACL. Later in the story, the impact of Wentz's injury permeates the Philadelphia sports talk airwaves. Heartbreak is baked into the sports DNA here, for the Eagles, but beyond them too. Witness, on WIP, the city's sports radio mecca, the morning show host put out a call for listeners' all-time disappointments. There was Mitch Williams serving up a walk-off, World Series winning home run to Joe Carter in Game 6 of the World Series in 1993, and Eric Lindros crumpling to the ice in Game 7 of the 2000 Eastern Conference Finals. Even Smarty Jones, the locally raised thoroughbred that fell one length short of a triple crown, run down in the stretch of the Belmont Stakes by a 36-1 to long shot in 2004. The price for the caller who identified the most piercing calamity? A Carson Wentz jersey. As far as, Hallie, as far as the state of the Philadelphia fan, which is sort of as, without telling you what I'm a fan, where I'm from, <laughs> that you can't argue that they haven't been through the ringer on, like, like very gut-wrenching at times. Is there a palpable dread among Philly fans? I mean, I know, and I only say that because some fan bases would say, uh, hello, 2008 Phillies. Is that because... As we said earlier with the Rocky and Invincible and I'm hunting on my bye week, Carson <laughs> Wentz mentality that seems to be a magnet of Philadelphia love. Is it because that first and foremost, like, is just Philly want, are they dying to be a football town? And that's why this is so dreadful. So, yeah, I, a couple of things, right? So I don't think the, yeah, but you want a championship in 2008 is really going to fly. For one, it's been, that's almost a decade ago. It's a pretty long time ago. Um, and secondly, like the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl in the history of their franchise. They won championships before the Super Bowl era, but they've never actually captured a Lombardi trophy. And as much as the town prides itself on being four for four, that they support all four major franchises more than anything, I just, not everything sort of pales in comparison to the Eagles. Um, so I think that's number one, right? Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know if it's dread. Um, another person I spoke to, Ray Didinger, who is mm-hmm. a longtime reporter from Philadelphia, talked about this. And I talked this about in my story a little bit is that even when things are going so well, even when they're eight and one and nine and one and 10 and one and they clinch the NFCs, there's just this sense of that you're in a Roadrunner cartoon in Philadelphia, right? So that you're waiting for the anvil to fall. Yeah. Um, and then it fell. Carson Wentz tore his ACL. It fell. Um, so, you know, it was sort of just true to expectations at that point, I guess. 
as a Philadelphia fan, mm-hmm. I'm exposing you now. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on the state of the like? Where do you, where do you say the myth has gotten to the point of being myth, where the national perception of what a Philadelphia fan is? Oh, when did it reach that? I- oh, no, or where do you stand on it? Or like, listen, like we don't all do this, <laughs> we don't all do that. We um, don't all do this. Look, I, you know, I would say. The easy sort of narrative about Philly fans is what you always hear, right? They throw snowballs at Santa and they throw batteries at J.D. Drew. Um, but quite honestly, like they are, I think that's, you're going to find crazy, destructive, um, you know, fans in any fan base. And I honestly do think that, and look, I grew up in Philadelphia. It's all I know, from, mm-hmm. you know, as a sure. sports fan base. Um, but it is, you won't find a fan base, I don't think, that is more, um, involved and engaged and sort of a part of a team's trajectory to win than you will in Philadelphia. I like it. Now, when we talk about Carson Wentz, the savior, or just the whole, I know he's the point person, but it's sort of, you know, he, the whole franchise as it's been sort of been turning around. Do you feel that the Philadelphia fan is really ready for a savior or are they more, do you feel that what they're really emotionally prepared for actually is to just be disappointed again? Well, I think it could be both, right? So I think they they can be waiting and waiting and waiting for a savior and also waiting and waiting and waiting for that savior to potentially disappoint them in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, But no, I think that they are fully ready and have already sort of embraced Carson Wentz as Savior. Like I mentioned it before, Ginger Jesus is just like, it's Ginger Jesus. Yeah, no, it's like, that's a huge shirt in Philadelphia. It's It's, trending. Yep. No. um, So, yeah. So if we say, as we said earlier, with five years from now, five years from Mm -hmm. now, if there are more than one Lombardi trophy Mm -hmm. resting in Philadelphia, where do you feel the state of the Philadelphia fan is then? Meaning, how would these, the whole sports media or sports talk landscape, as someone who I would now reveal, as someone who comes from the greater Boston area, mm-hmm. we went from, oh, poor them, to please stop talking out loud to anybody. <laughs> and no one likes chowder. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, the the identity of the Philadelphia fan base for so long has been disappointment. And mm-hmm. that they get, you know, when the when they won, the Phillies won the World Series in 2008, it had been 25 years since mm-hmm. a championship at that point. It's now been nearly a decade since that point. So I don't know. I don't know that the average Philadelphia fan knows how to embrace <laughs> uh, winning. But by the same token, I think they are more than ready to feel secure in the fact that uh, that this is hopefully, potentially, one run of many. So, so if there is a parade, mm. will you be there? I'll be there. Now we present an excerpt from Hallie Grossman's story on the state of the Eagles' defense. And so a peculiar ecosystem, complete with unique customs and dialect, has emerged in South Philly. Within the walls of the practice facility, the concept of starters and backups is relegated to an antiquated notion. Our first and second strings in the line, Curry starts, and then stops. Not even really second strings, our first and second groups. They don't feel bound by traditional labels because they don't think those labels apply. I just happened to be on a team with really good players, says Long, who won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots last year, but joined Philadelphia because he coveted the scheme and the system it promised. I know I could still start somewhere. It's not like I just want to play. I want to be a part of a really good defense. And there isn't just a rotation of those groups. There's a specific brand of rotation. I grew up in Minnesota, Allen says. 
I played hockey growing up, and one of the things our coach says is it's like a hockey rotation. In other words, the Eagles' minutes management of their best unit, the one that has steered them in the post-wins world and the one that will ultimately help deliver that first playoff victory in nearly a decade over Atlanta, is practically Popovician. It's the NFL's version of DNP rest. Okay, so excellent story on the defense. But I find it – I always find these units in football where it's – unless you're a diehard fan of the game or of the team, with that many people – coming and going, it's kind of hard to have like high profile guys. So I'm always fascinated by units that are so content to do what they do together. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the defense, the defense is definitely, I mean, there's talented players, obviously, but how important is the mindset, meaning the commitment to no one really being a star, but the numbers and the results mm-hmm. being the star. Sure. How important is that to their success and how sustainable do you think that could be? Yeah. So it's funny. Back when I was first sort of talking to my editors about this, they asked me, like, who's interesting? You know, that's not named Carson Wentz. And I was like, well, you know what? Like the defense, the defensive line is absolutely their strength. But there's no one really to pull out from that group. Like Chris Long has this really engaging personality, but he plays half of the snaps, right? Mm -hmm. He's not their star. But that is... When we started talking about it, it became really evident that like that in itself was a story, right? Because... Um, yeah, you have stars on that line. You have Brandon Graham on the outside and Fletcher Cox on the inside, and those are two megawatt stars. But by the same token, none of those guys, um, not a single one, played more than 65% of snaps in the 2017 regular season. And I think in all, you had on the Eagles seven guys who played at least 40% of snaps, and that's pretty unique in the NFL. That was the most in the league this year. You know, something like 24 teams, so a full three quarters of the team of the mm-hmm. teams in the league um, played three to five guys that often. So that is unique to the Eagles, and that um, that helped them. That was by design by Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator, because you have a Brandon Graham who's only played 65 percent of snaps all season, and then you get into the playoffs and you can play him 90 percent of the snaps against Atlanta, and then 80 mm-hmm. percent of the snaps against Minnesota. Um, ditto for Fletcher Cox. And what that means in practice, that doesn't sound sexy and exciting, but what that means for them is truthfully, like they have never felt as fresh as they do. Like, so Brandon Graham is in the locker locker room and he's sort of jubilant about the fact that like his big toe isn't hurting. Like he doesn't, <laughs> like it, seriously, he was really excited about that. Um, and he just doesn't have these nicks and these like slow nagging injuries that normally he has. It's just not a reality for them this year. So they feel, you know, they, they feel great and that makes a difference. So you mentioned uh, Chris Long and in the part that you read about how one of the reasons he moved on from the Patriots, who he played for last year and they won the Super Bowl, was that he was sort of playing not really in his system, so to speak, or what his to his strengths. And so, yes, he moved on, but he clearly, by staying out, not really in his comfort zone and being there when needed, was sort of part of what why people. I like to hear it, but people mm-hmm. think this is an awful term. The Patriot way, because mm-hmm. it's obnoxious. <laughs> so, but do you find that Chris Long, from that experience, is bringing the Patriot way, like next man up, all hands on deck, bring the Patriot way to Philadelphia? Is he more the wise, I'll be over here if you need me mm-hmm. type mentor? Yeah, so it's funny. I don't actually think the biggest thing that Chris Long has done is bring Patriot way to Broad Street, per se. I think the biggest thing Chris Long has brought to Philadelphia is Chris Long like he Mm -hmm. he's only been there a year but he is already just having the chance to sort of be a fly on the locker room wall to like Mm -hmm. talk to some of those guys he's just 
really beloved at this point. And it's only yeah. been one season. Like Brent Selleck is the longest tenured Eagle. He's been there since 2007. And he said that Chris Long is one of the like his favorite teammates he's ever played with. So that's a pretty good ringing endorsement, right? Sure. And so Vinnie Curry, who's on the defensive line with him, said he called Chris a breath of fresh air. And so did Bo Allen, like those exact words. Um, and Bo's point, and it's a good one, right, is that in sports towns everywhere, but especially in Philadelphia, where like the spotlight is just so bright and scrutiny is, you know, so intense, um, that players can have a, they sort of tend to withdraw, right? So at least publicly, they sort of scale back on, um, personality and, um, and Chris just, especially this year, has not done that. So he does things like, you know, donate his regular season checks to local and hometown charities. And he Mm -hmm. goes with his teammates, Malcolm Jenkins and Torrey Smith to Harrisburg to, it was a Tuesday morning after they played a Monday night game against Washington, um, to go to Harrisburg to talk to lawmakers about criminal justice reform. Um, But by the same token, you had this guy who's very socially responsible, very socially active, and he goes, like I said, he goes out and he talks about, or he talks to the media in a dog mask. And <laughs> he trolls Fletcher Cox on Twitter. Like in the off season, Fletcher tweeted about um, a disappointing experience he had with Delta. Uh-huh. And Chris went on Twitter. He actually, he changed his Twitter avatar to be the official Delta logo yep. and posed as a Delta representative and tweeted <laughs> back at Fletcher in, I guess, language not suitable for podcasts, but he said something <laughs> along the lines of like, hey, Fletcher, we don't give a bleep, um, you know, grab some extra pretzels and sit tight. So he, <laughs> he brings a lot to the locker room. And yeah, he brings like he spent a year in New England. So, you know, Coach Peterson had several members of the current team on the Eagles who who have been on Super Bowl winning teams. He had them address the, the team as a whole. And he was among them. Chris was among them. But I honestly think more than anything, it's sort of the personality and the life that he sort of injected into that locker room. Now, living where I do, not in New England, by the way, which you do live in New England. So down in more of Yankee country and the tri-state area, um, it was amazing how the Yankee fans were taught, like just for decades, that anything less than a World Series title was – just a failure. And then once, you know, they had a tough, outside of the 2009 World Series, they had, you know, all the money they poured into their team just didn't really produce anything. It hasn't really produced anything this decade either. But when they made it to the ALCS this year, for the first time since I've been down there, it was amazing how happy and not super disappointed everyone was that they didn't may win it all. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was, you don't understand, we did what we did here a year early, at least. You don't understand how we're built. We are built for a long run. So the fact that we did what we did this year, great. But look out next year and look out after that and after that. Do you think that for the long haul with the way that this defense is and the ginger Jesus and all that, <laughs> do you feel that that's what Philadelphia is set up for. This isn't just a win now and cross your fingers for another decade. Yeah. So I think a lot of people will tell you from talking heads to Joe fan on Broad Street that uh, as long as Carson Wentz is on the roster and lining up under center, that mm-hmm. this team is pretty primed for a good and long run. Um, and as over the moon as Philly fans are about making the Super Bowl this year, and they are because it's just the third time in franchise history, mm-hmm. Um 
in their heart of hearts. I, you know, is it a win now or bust mentality? I really don't, I don't think so. You know, truthfully, this team, like you said, with the Yankees, it feels like it's actually ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had a year where Carson Wentz played like an MVP for 14 weeks Mm -hmm. and where Doug Peterson's play calling was pretty exceptional on a game to game basis. And Howie Roseman, executive of the year, made sort of prescient, very forward-thinking moves that panned out. So he signed and he brings back Nick Foles in the offseason. Good move. He brings, <laughs> yeah. He brings back or he brings Jay Ajayi in the middle of the season. That good move. And so yep. you had all these things coalescing to create this, not a miraculous run, but like this very impressive, pretty unexpected run. Um, but all of those things, like the 13-3 and record and the number one seed and the Super Bowl berth, those are those are probably a year, two years early. Um, and I think that's true. I think the surprise of this year is if you were talking to an Eagles fan and they were being truthful, I think they would say as much. I think even when you talk to the team itself, like there are they going to say, yeah, we're wildly outperforming expectations? No, I don't think so. But like when I spoke to Chris Long, um, you know, who, as you mentioned a couple times, he's come from – um, he came directly from New England. He spent a year there with a team that was a perennial Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, congratulations. And Thank he, you. <laughs> and he said when he came to Philly that he was expecting to come to a good team, mm-hmm. to a playoff contending team, but that he didn't really expect them to be this good. And he said that he, even as they were sort of getting on that role, that he didn't think that the other players in the locker room realized that they were that good either. And he mm-hmm. felt like that actually helped them. Um, and there's actually this really funny clip of Bo Allen on the defensive. He's a pretty good friend of Chris's on the defensive line. And he was mic'd up during a regular season game. And they catch him on the sideline going up to Chris. And he he sounds like very genuinely befuddled. And he's like, hey, are we good? <laughs> and, and Chris goes like, huh? And Bo asks again. And he's like pretty confused. Still. He's like, are, are we good? And Chris laughs, like laughs out loud and says, yeah, I think we are. So, you know, there's there's indication that there was surprise across the board. Yeah, and it because it's interesting, though, where some of these teams where you see it's hard to figure that out because it is the culture. Yeah. the cult, Because sometimes it's hard to figure out, are they winning because of the culture or is the culture good because, I mean, you don't have to look back too far in any team's history of teams that have won and then didn't win where winning heals all wounds. Sure. Chicken or egg, right? Right. Yeah. But this one, it seems for long-term success, success, it's culture comes first. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot for mm-hmm. one question. Okay. What's going to be the score of the Super Bowl? Oh, God, the score? I couldn't let you – I couldn't tell you everything. I just don't even know, you know, because if you had asked Don't any- worry. Everyone in Philadelphia at Wawa. <laughs> will- Maryland from Wawa is going to yep. hold me to it. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Like it's a, it's so much depends on which Nick Foles shows up, right? So if he's the Minnesota Nick Foles, then they can lay uh-huh. thirty eight. I don't know. The Patriots defense isn't what the Vikings defense is. I'm going with the Eagles. Okay. I'm going with twenty four twenty Eagles. Okay. Congratulations. Uh, I guess we'll see you at the parade then. Yeah. All right. See you Hall- there, Hallie. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.